we continue our study of the book of Ruth uh, today, and uh, we need to do three important things this morning. First, I want to give you a summary of where we are in the book. I'm not going to assume that you've all been here the last three weeks, so I just want to catch you up to speed on the story. So I'll give you a summary of the story first, then we're going to work through the story itself, and then I want to challenge us from this text to take two uh, significant uh, pieces of action um, in, or in light of this text. So a summary, the story itself, and then two appeals to apply this text in, uh, in significant ways. Uh, so let's dive in. We're in Ruth 3. Just to catch you up to speed, the way the story starts is that you have Elimelech and Naomi. They were from Israel. They were from Bethlehem. They decided to move their family, which included two boys as well, Malon and Chilean, and they moved to Moab, which was a traditional enemy of Israel, but they moved there because there's a famine in Israel. And while they're there, uh, their sons marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then tragedy strikes. Both Elimelech and Malon and Chilean, Naomi's husband and her two sons, all pass away. And so now you have three women living in Moab, in a man's world, by the way, who are widows, who are poor, who are destitute, trying to make ends meet. Naomi, the mother-in-law, and the daughter-in-laws, which would be Ruth and Orpah. Naomi, the mother-in-law, decides to go back home to Israel. And so she uh, uh, encourages uh, both Orpah and Ruth, you need to go back to Moab. I have nothing for you. I can provide nothing for you. Go back to your home, to your families. Maybe you can be remarried. I'm going back alone. Orpah listens to Naomi, but Ruth makes this incredible commitment to Naomi. And in spite of the fact that, that, that Naomi has nothing for Ruth to, to get, there's nothing that Naomi can offer her, Ruth decides to commit herself to love and serve her mother-in-law no matter where Naomi goes. She commits herself to, to go back to Israel with Naomi and live until Naomi dies and then continue to live in Israel. And all of these commitments that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law are fueled by the fact that Ruth has experienced the loyal love of God in her own life. And now she is willing to pour out that same kind of sacrificial, loyal love to her mother-in-law who can offer her nothing. And so Ruth comes back to Israel with Naomi and they come back to Bethlehem together. And I think one of the poignant parts of the story is when Naomi comes back, she has not been in Bethlehem for at least a decade. When she comes back into the city, having left Bethlehem full, she says, with a husband and two sons, now coming back with no husbands and no sons, she tells the townspeople, I went out full, but God has brought me back empty. In spite of the fact that that Ruth is standing right next to her. The story begins to get a little more positive, though, as you realize that Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley season, barley harvesting season, which would enable them four to six weeks of being able to glean in the fields to supply food for themselves. We also find out that Elimelech, which is Naomi's husband's uh, deceased husband, has a relative named Boaz, which is a little hopeful. 
because there was a provision in the Mosaic law that a relative, a close relative, could redeem a dying family. And Naomi's family is literally and figuratively dying. And then we find out that Ruth happens to go out to, um, to harvest the barley. And she just happens to go to the field of Boaz, the close relative. It just so happens God is sovereign. And while Ruth is in Boaz's field, gleaning the, the scraps of barley that the harvesters miss, which is part of the provision for poor people, for widows, the poor, orphans, aliens, Boaz just happens to show up, the man who is actually the close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, just so happens he shows up. God is sovereign. Boaz then goes way out of his way to provide for Ruth. He recognizes eventually that this is Ruth the Moabite who has made this significant commitment to love her mother-in-law. Everybody knows about it. The townspeople know about it. Boaz has heard about it and now he gets to meet her. Boaz instructs his young male workers not to harm her, so he provides protection for her. He tells Ruth to stay in my fields, go nowhere else, and he goes beyond the law, so to speak, by, by saying to Ruth, you can drink from the water cisterns that I provide for the workers. Boaz invites her into the communal meal with the other workers as well, demonstrating that even though Boaz is one of the highest ranking members of the socioeconomic system of Bethlehem, he is showing massive care and love for Ruth, who is at the very bottom of the socioeconomic system. In that first day of the barley harvest, Ruth brings home a month's worth of food for herself and for Naomi. Well, it's not lost on Naomi that this Boaz who has provided this kind of personal care for Ruth could be the way forward for her dying family. He's a relative of Elimelech, her deceased husband. She realizes this now. And what was true back then is that for a family like Naomi's, where death and destruction have, have decimated the male population, there was a provision in the Mosaic law that a near relative of a deceased male could marry a widow and restore the land that was owed to the deceased male relative and, and restore the name of the deceased male relative so that the family line would continue and could provide a way forward for this family that has lost its inheritance, lost its land, lost its provision, lost its name, and is losing its future. So Naomi begins to work. It feels like could have been right out of the musical, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, right? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Naomi begins to go to work. And so that's the summary. Now we move to the second part of what we need to look at, the story itself. And I want to walk you through the story. Naomi realizes that Boaz could redeem the family by marrying Ruth. So let's pick up the story. We'll walk through the story. Then we'll get to the two challenges. 
Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi's talked to Ruth and Orpah before about rest, meaning she, she, she couldn't provide rest for him now, but she wants to provide rest, which means I want to provide security for you. Security through marriage. Verse two, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. You need to realize that in uh, the, the in terms of the barley harvest, there were four parts to a barley harvest. The first part is when the, the, usually the male workers would come out and they would cut the stalks, uh, cut the stalks of, of, of the barley at the base. They would then leave these out and other workers and sometimes women would come and they would bundle them up uh, so that they could be taken in to be threshed. Once they were there, you would have to cut the head from the stalk. You would also then have to get the seed separated from the husk and then make sure the husk and the seed were separated, which is the last part, which would have been winnowing, where you would, you would throw up the husk and the seed into the air and the, the, the wind would blow the husk away. The seed would land down on the threshing floor that you would gather up to be part of the food supply. So Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Boaz has come in from the fields. He probably wants to protect the incoming crop of the barley. So that's where he's going to be. Verse 3, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. That's what Naomi's telling Ruth to do. Put on him for cloak. Put on some ointment. Um... You are going to go down and meet Boaz tonight, but, but don't not, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's saying, you know, Boaz might have a better response once he's had a little wine, a little food, right? Naomi has been around the block, all right? She knows what she's doing here. Now, one of the big problems here is that Naomi is trying to get Ruth, the Moabite. If you remember from last week's sermon, she's at the bottom of the socioeconomic system. What Naomi is proposing, that the lowest person in Bethlehem is going to talk to, the, talk to one of the most powerful men in Bethlehem and essentially make herself available to be married. It's bold. It's audacious. And of course, it it carries tremendous risk for Ruth. She's poor. She's powerless. How do you talk to a man in private when the most powerful man always has people around him? That's why she needs to go at night. That's why she needs to go in the darkness. That's why she needs to go when no one else is up. So that if she is rejected, there's sort of a saving of her face, so to speak. The shame is less. Verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go in and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. This was also important. She needed a private audience with Boaz, so she needed to see where he went down to lie down to sleep, but she needed to be careful to know exactly where Boaz was. You don't want to go talk to the wrong man on a night like this. Okay? Now, one of the problems, and it really frustrates me, is you'll read a number of commentators and they will look at this text and they will import the moral confusion of the 21st century and try to jam it on to Ruth chapter 3 to say, oh, something's untoward here. 
uncover his feet. That's a euphemism. And, they, you know, there is some evidence that it can be used as, a, as, as, as sort of a euphemism for, for, for physical intimacy. But the reality is the weight of evidence is all against believing that something untoward is happening here. Boaz is called a worthy man earlier in the text. Ruth is going to be called a worthy woman later in the text. To sit at somebody's feet was not an, a, a, a picture of, of physical intimacy. If she would have sat side by side with him, that would have been. But it would have been not that unheard of for a servant to lie down at his master's feet. Furthermore, when... And I, I started to... Spoiler alert, they get married, okay? But when they get married, the language that's used for Boaz and Ruth consummated their, their, their marriage and physical intimacy, a, a very different set of words is used than is used in Ruth chapter 3. This is not an immoral action. This is not a, 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 a failure to live up to God's standard of purity. But nevertheless, it is an audacious, bold some would say almost reckless plan for the least powerful person to a, approach the most powerful person in Bethlehem and essentially present herself as a possible bride for him, not only as a husband for herself to, be, to find rest, but also as a way for the family to be rescued from the financial disaster that has befallen it because of the death of the three men in the family. Notice again, this is very important, just go in and cover his feet. So to lie down at his feet and he will tell you what to do. In other words, basically Naomi tells Ruth, you need to just kind of get into position. When he wakes up in the middle of the night, you'll be there and he'll tell you what to do. Well, let's see what happens. It's not quite like that. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So he probably would have been lying down with his other workers, okay? They would have all been in the threshing floor. He was there probably to provide protection for the harvest that had come in. She came softly and uncovered his feet. There might have been a towel at the base of his feet, right? And so she uncovers that. And she's near his feet. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. It's very interesting. That word behold, we've seen that before. Behold, Boaz shows up at the field where Ruth is. And now now the joke's on Boaz. Behold, a woman is at his feet at midnight. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, she uses a word for servant that truly underscores her position. But that word servant there can also mean I am of marriageable age. Ruth is presenting herself to Boaz as a marriageable person. Remember, Naomi had told her, you you show up, you, you, you get near, and Boaz will tell you what to do. But that's not what happens. Notice what Ruth says. I am Ruth, your servant. Then she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Well, that wasn't part of the plan. What you have is Ruth telling the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in Bethlehem, I want you to take your wings and spread them over me, which means I want you to marry me. Why? Because you're a redeemer and you can redeem the family. 
There's another textual variant that talks about it, 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 it's where she's saying, please take the hem of your garment and put it over me. That is a marriage proposal. The least powerful is telling the most powerful man, this is what needs to happen. You're a redeemer. Fulfill your responsibilities. And, and you know, so much for it. Let him tell you what to do. She's telling him what to do. And it's not much of a request. She's basically calling the most powerful man in Bethlehem to do his responsibility under the Mosaic law to redeem this family. It's also interesting here. You get to notice it when she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. If you go back to verse 12 of Ruth 2, when Boaz meets Ruth, when he just so happens to show up in the field where Roots just so happen to be gleaning. Verse 12 says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. So in other words, Boaz is pronouncing a blessing on Ruth. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz has pronounced this blessing earlier to Ruth to say, the Lord bless you and repay you because you've taken refuge under the wings of Israel. And now what Ruth is doing, basically, it says, Boaz, take the blessing that you pronounced on me that I've come under the wings of Israel and you be the wings of God by, 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 by putting them over me and protecting me and marrying me and redeeming this family. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I could just keep saying this over and over again. This is, this, is, this is insane. This is an audacious woman, the poorest of the poor, telling the most powerful, this is how it needs to go down here. Uh, 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 just, just an aside, I, I could rant on this for a while, but... I know sometimes that people look at the, the Bible and they say that, uh, oh, it's just in, in, in reinforcing the patriarchal, you know, institutions of marriage and society. Look at you Christians and you believe in marriage and you believe the man is supposed to provide some responsibility. We preached on this a couple of weeks ago. What Ruth is doing here blows that little image to bits. Okay. This is a different kind of understanding of what a woman can and should do, and Ruth is exploding all of those stereotypes that often get thrown at people of faith. Let's move on. Verse 10, he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Again, he calls him daughter. He's probably a a couple decades older than Ruth. It's also a term of endearment. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Well, of course, see, the thing is, part of the reason Ruth is, 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 is putting this before Boaz, because Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. Boaz has a responsibility and could literally save the family and save Naomi. So in some sense, in spite of the audacious action of Ruth, Ruth is still thinking about who? Naomi. Even in this audacious moment. It's almost like the the secondary understanding for Ruth is, well, I would get a husband. She's still thinking about Naomi because that was her primary commitment. She's a woman of love. She's a woman of integrity. Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. Boaz is going to care for Ruth. 
I'm sure she would. I mean, this is pretty high anxiety, right? You know, depending on what Boaz is going to say here. She says, do not fear. And then notice this. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Notice the thing. If you go back up, and this is done on purpose by the narrator. The narrator first said, present yourself to Boaz and he will tell you what to do. But what actually happens is Boaz tells Ruth, I will do for you all that you've asked. I will do what you told me to do. The roles have reversed. And he goes on to say, all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. This is really pretty important, right? There's, there's very few places in the Old Testament where a worthy woman is used to describe a woman. One of those places is in Proverbs 31. The description of this, uh, this worthy woman who cares for her family and then has economic pursuits outside the home and, and does all these things to serve her community called a worthy woman. Well, Ruth is a worthy woman. And it is interesting to note that in the Old Testament canon, for a very long time, Ruth was often placed right after the book of Proverbs. Why? Because Proverbs 31 is describing a worthy woman and Ruth describes the worthy woman in this narrative. What Boaz is saying here, he's calling her a worthy woman. Boaz was called a worthy man in in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. What has happened here is the most powerful man in Bethlehem has now put Ruth, the Moabite widow woman who is at the very low, they're now on the same level. Worthy man, worthy woman. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Boaz knows there's somebody else who's a closer relative of Elimelech and he will have the first, uh, first word to say in this redemption plan. He goes, remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down here until the morning. Again, when he says lie down in the morning, that's not a a, a physical intimacy. That's just stay here, lodge. It's a a similar word that is used here and and, and earlier about, it's the same word used when when Ruth says, I will lodge where you lodge when she talks to her mother-in-law. So she lay at his feet until the morning, verse 14, but arose before one could recognize another. Probably a good idea. Don't want to be seen leaving the uh, threshing floor. Uh, People can talk. It's a small town. You know how rumors go in a small town. Boaz says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley. We're not sure exactly how much that is, but it's enough to behold in her garment there. She held, he measured out six measures of barley. He put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now this was designed to give her a plausible reason for being at the threshing floor. It would have been plausible for Ruth to come and get barley. That's where they were, uh, you know, winnowing the barley. She, She came and came back with that. That would explain why she was there and why she was going back. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? I don't think Naomi got too much sleep that night, do you? I don't think Boaz and Ruth slept after their little encounter at midnight. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Ha, where did we hear that before? 
You see, I think Boaz knew very well, all small towns know this, knew that when Naomi came back and said, I, can't, I, can't, I left full, I've come back empty, even though Ruth was there. And now Boaz is sort of playing off this and saying, I don't want you to go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law, so here's some barley. Once again, a picture again of Boaz and his, 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 his just pouring out love and pouring out care in every possible manner. Verse 18, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, that's the story. It's an incredible story. It's a bold, audacious story. And I want to challenge us in two ways from this text. Number one is this. This text is telling us, believers in Jesus Christ today, as we read this, we are called to be servant redeemers for those around us who are suffering. We are called to be servant redeemers for others, particularly others who are struggling. I want to turn to Matthew 20. Uh, If you can turn there, Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. I'll read through 27. I'll read 28 when I get to the second challenge. Jesus called them to him, his disciples. Again, Matthew twenty twenty five. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. What you're seeing acted out in reality in the book of Ruth is this upside down nature of God's love and God's kingdom in that serving others is the pathway to greatness, not the other way around. In God's kingdom, you know, economy, his, his kingdom in the church of Jesus Christ, even to exercise authority, to have power and authority. I mean, it's not wrong in and of itself, but the pathway to greatness, according to Jesus, is through servanthood. If you want to be great, you better be a servant. If you want to be powerful and make an impact, you're a servant first and foremost. That's the upside down nature of the kingdom. That's what you see in the life of Ruth and Boaz. You think about this. Ruth is the least powerful person in this narrative at the very beginning. Because she does some very ordinary things, like go out every day and pick up the scraps of barley that are left by the other harvesters, and then, and, 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 and then beat that out at the end of the day and bring that back to Naomi, simply being with Naomi, simply committing herself to Naomi, caring for her emotionally, physically, and gleaning barley, simply doing those things, Ruth has now become great. She's become powerful in God's economy. So powerful that she's able to look Boaz on the eye and tell him exactly what needs to happen. And he doesn't flinch. He's not offended. He's not like, hey, 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 uh, Moabite woman. (laughs) Why are you talking to me this way? What does Boaz say? I will do for you everything that you've asked me to do. And Boaz, at another level, 
being one of the most powerful men in Bethlehem, has put himself into a servant's role because he's doing everything in his power to redeem Ruth and to redeem Naomi's family through his power as a near relative. He is doing the kind of servant activity as well because I don't want to get ahead of myself. Next week, uh, Pastor Andrew is going to be preaching on on, on chapter 4, and we'll have one more in chapter 4. But the reality is Boaz redeeming Ruth is going to be costly for Boaz. He not only has to marry Ruth, he gets the land that Elimelech used to own. But now if there, are, if, if there are children from this union, he will have to divide up his entire estate. So it diminishes his inheritance. It's going to cost him money. And the children that will be born to him won't even necessarily have to take his name. Because they, he will be saving Elimelech's family name. So there's lots of sacrifices that Boaz makes. And Boaz, being the most powerful man in the town, shows himself to be a servant as well when he tells the Moabite widow woman who has no power, I will do for you all that you ask. This is the upside-down nature of what it means to follow Christ. We're serving is the pathway to greatness. Service is the power to make an impact. Service is the the power to change the world. And it comes through servanthood, not the other way around. And I think this is challenging for us. There's nothing wrong living in in New Jersey, in mid-Jersey. There's nothing wrong with academic achievement. There's nothing wrong with getting degrees and and, and, and more degrees. There's nothing wrong with having a job that pays a lot. It's nothing wrong to have a position of a significant authority. But here's the, the, the reality is, even if you have that kind of authority or even if you have achieved that kind of success, the way forward as a follower of Jesus Christ to make an impact is through servanthood, not worldly Power, reputation, money, and reputation. It's interesting what some commentators write about this. The metaphor under his wings reflects perfectly the interplay between God's activity and ours. God is covering Ruth under his wings now through Boaz. But God works through Naomi's risky plan, Ruth's audacious follow-through, and Boaz's love. One scholar summarized it this way, the reversal of death that has afflicted Naomi's life is affected by God through their ordinary hopes, their ordinary attentions, their ordinary actions. God often affects his purposes in the world through the ordinary motivations and events of his people. Ordinary people like Ruth and Boaz or like you and me who've decided to serve rather than to be served and the world has changed. And I think we underestimate what it means when you decide by God's grace, to be a servant redeemer for someone else. To take upon yourself the problems that your friend or your struggling family member or the struggling neighbor, to to in some sense for at least for a time, take on their problems, take on their concerns, take on their issues and work to to provide relief in, in a sacrificial servant way that has power to it. 
And it's interesting, Jesus, when he talks about this, say at the, at the last judgment, okay? Again, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to be in heaven. But there's this other judgment called the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And, and, and Jesus often says this, the first will be last, the last will be first. Why? Because God is excited and delighted when people do ordinary servant redeeming things for others and he will see it and he will reward it. Sometimes in this life, but in the next life for sure. Can't tell you how many people I've met as a pastor who will describe a very difficult time they were going was going on in their life. And they will describe a friend of theirs from the church, usually, who cared in very simple ordinary but service-oriented ways. What was the difference between them holding on to life and getting through the trial? I remember talking to someone who, who was just praising this one person for all that they had done for them as, their, as, their, uh, as one of their children lay dying of cancer. And this one person would come and visit in the hospital and just be a presence and, 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 and this family went on and on about what this person did. But when you talk to the person who was there, the person said, I didn't say a word. I came and visited the hospital. Yes, the last 10 days of, of the daughter's life, I was there, but I said nothing. I was just there. I prayed two times. And yet for the person who was served, it was a matter of life and death. Their life had been redeemed from the simple presence of someone who decided to sacrifice a little bit of their time and be a servant redeemer for someone else. That's what we're being called to do here. And the question for each of us is, who is God calling you to redeem on a human level? Who's the person in your life right now? Maybe they need a phone call. They need a text. They need a cup of coffee if you can do that. They, they need to be cared for. They, they need to be redirected. Maybe they need some, some finances. Maybe they need a, just a word of encouragement. A helpful email, a helpful text, a quick phone call. Are we going to take time from our busy schedules? in pursuing all the things we think we need to pursue, but we can't forget that what God calls us to do is service, servanthood. Because that is the pathway to greatness in God's kingdom. That is the way to make impact. B.B. Warfield, writing about the person and work of Christ, said this. We've isolated the word redeemer to Jesus' salvation of us, but the Israelites' use of the word is rooted in the human activity of the redeemer, the human redeemer. We think of the spiritual meaning of redeemer, but not the everyday redeeming that is crying out all around us. Our lives should reflect the redeeming life of Jesus. And if that were to happen, we would live not one life, but we would live a thousand lives. Who do you need to redeem this week? Who is God calling you to enter into their suffering? And like Boaz and like Ruth, enter into that as a servant. And lay your life a little bit down for those who are suffering around you. We are called to be servant redeemers for those around us. The second thing as we close, and that is we are called to remember our servant redeemer, Jesus Christ. You cannot read this text without seeing 
in particular, that Boaz is a picture of what Christ is going to do for us. It's true that Boaz was a redeemer. And next week, Pastor Andrew will be talking about all of the sacrifices he had to make to redeem Naomi's family by marrying Ruth. They are significant. They are not to be belittled in any way. And for him, as this powerful man of Bethlehem, to to serve Ruth the Moabite is commendable and powerful and amazing. But look at what Jesus did. Jesus was, he wasn't just the most powerful man in Bethlehem. He was the Lord of the universe. He's the king of kings. He was God himself. He created the world, we're told in John 1. Notice what it says in Matthew 20. 28, the the last verse of that section I didn't read. Let me read it to you now. I'll read the whole text. It says, verse 25 of Matthew 20, Jesus called them to him and said, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not so be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Then he says this, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You are never going to be a redeemer for someone else if you've forgotten who redeemed you. You've got to see that the king of the universe, the the highest of the high, the the all-powerful one, comes all the way out of heaven, puts on a human body and takes the form of a servant and lays down not just a little money. That's what Boaz is going to have to do. And, 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 and having a, the family and a wife and a new mother-in-law, all that. Yeah, he's going to have to do all that. Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the universe, lays down his entire life for you and for me. He was the Lord of the universe. He, he deserved to be served, so to speak. He's the king of the universe. And what does he do? He came not to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for man, to pour out not just a few bucks out of his inheritance that he has to divide up. He poured out his complete life to save people like us. When you see Jesus in the Gospels, what do you see? You see the Lord of the universe washing his disciples' feet. Really? He should have been washing his feet. He's washing their feet. Or you see the Lord of the universe telling his disciples, don't shoo away the kids. Bring the little children to me. Because he wasn't so big and powerful that he couldn't spend time with some kids. And then you see that same Jesus taking the, becoming a servant, dying for us. And when you keep that vision, when that vision, you're fixated on that, when you think of yourself in those terms, that's my identity, that's my my God, my Redeemer, my servant Redeemer, Jesus. When you see that love and are mesmerized by it, it enables you to turn around and redeem on a smaller scale, in miniature, the people around you who are suffering for their good and for the glory of Christ. And that's what we are called to do. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the challenge of your word. 
I pray for each of us, Lord. Uh, There are people in our life that we need to be servants to this week. Show us who they are and give us strength and intentionality to be servant redeemers for those around us. But Lord, we're never going to do that consistently. We're never going to do that comprehensively unless we keep our servant redeemer's sacrifice in mind. What you did for us. You laid down your life. You took the form of a, of a human being and the form of a servant. You, you came to serve us, not to be served. Because you had to lay down your entire life to rescue us from our sin and all the effects of that sin. Help us to be mesmerized by that. Help us to be fixated about that. Help that vision of who you are motivate us to be in miniature what you have already done for us in the macro as our servant redeemer. And may we turn around and be servant redeemers for the people around us who desperately need someone to come in and provide rescue and respite, emotional, physical, tangible, spiritual help. Help us to be that kind of a church servant redeemers, even as we keep our eyes on our ultimate servant redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.